0: This is Jeff Coper with Podcast 27 for Disney at Work, Disney at Play. We are here uh, to continue our focus on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which uh, opened just recently at Disneyland and is soon to open at the end of summer at um, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And we want to keep going into some of the great details and the great things that are out there today's podcast is titled, Three Imagineering Rules, Galaxy's Edge Breaks, and Three They Surpassed. So I think you're going to find this to uh, be a great uh, a little podcast that kind of allows us to look at some, some interesting elements of this park and why it's such a fascinating uh, experience. I, I just continue. It's been a week now since I was in uh, Batu at Disneyland, and I continue to ponder what was it that made that work, and why is that so different? And we're, these are some of those things that we want to share for you today. Number one of the rules that uh, imaginary is broken. It's, in fact, it's number four on Mickey's Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with this, this was a list that Marty Scalar, who is an Imaginarium legend, came up with for a presentation he did for IAPA. Some some years ago, and this commandment, uh, number four, says you need to create a weenie, or a visual magnet. It comes from Walt, these uh, hot dog and chili days, and he'd refer to a hot dog being placed at the end of the stick, something you just kind of set over the campfire. And so, what you wanna have is, it's a little bit like a carrot at the end of the stick, trying to entice the horse to keep going forward. Um, It's the idea, having a visual magnet that propels people. Oh, I want to go see what that looks like. Well, there, you know, when you go to uh, a Magic Kingdom or you go to Disneyland, you know that when you're on Main Street, you're looking down there. What is that visual magnet? What's that weenie at the end of the stick? It's the castle. As you approach Epcot, it's Spaceship Earth. You go down Hollywood Boulevard, it's the great, uh, the Chinese theater. Um, when you get to the hub of a Magic Kingdom, you see that beyond the the fortress is the Wheeler, and maybe beyond that, uh, Big Thunder Mountain. Over toward Tomorrowland, you see rockets and you see uh, Space Mountain beyond that. And, and so there are these different weenies that have always been part of Imagineering. Now, that's not always been the case. For instance, even though all these attractions that I just mentioned have a weenie, the one that never did was Adventureland. When you turn into Adventureland, the idea was you were kind of getting lost into a space and you kind of discovered things as you went along. And so Adventureland has always been different as one of the rules. The same could be said when you go through Typhoon Lagoon. That was the next one where you walked into the park. You saw nothing of the water park. In fact, you'd have to go down this kind of jungle trail. And then all of a sudden you come to this view where you see this huge wave pool and you see, um, uh, a, a, a Tilly, um, sitting on top of Mount Mayday, uh, Miss Tilly. And it's sometimes blowing the water out of its stack. And it's, it's this visual, uh, Treat that you just suddenly come upon. The same thing is uh, was done at an even greater level with Disney's Animal Kingdom. You don't enter. You don't see the Tree of Life when you arrive at the gates. You actually go in and you weave through the oasis, past these different animal encounters, through this beautiful, lush uh, vegetation, and then it's only then after you kind of come upon Discovery Village and in the center of it, uh, the Tree of Life. Well. The center of this, that the, the visual magnet, the treat, the thing people are wanting to see is the Millennium Falcon. And guess what? You don't see it when you come in to Galaxy's Edge. There are three different entrances. The one we were led through when we first toured uh, uh, Batu was the one out of Frontierland. And it faces you in front of a bunch of shops. And you wouldn't know even which direction to go to see the Millennium Falcon, other than to kind of press forward. Uh, The Fantasyland entrance over at uh, um, Disneyland, Uh, it too, you go through an an archway, um, which actually leads to where the First Order is, but you can't see from that particular location. Even though you kind of get a long shot view that all goes beyond it you can't see that behind August is Millennium Falcon. And then even more so, and this is gonna be the interesting thing because at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I believe that most guests are going to probably be entered through Grand Avenue, which at Disneyland is is Critter Country and and is the the location where they've been lining up most groups that go in during the day uh, with reservations. The interesting thing about coming in through that entrance is you not only don't see the Millennium Falcon, you don't see most of what is the Black Spire Outpost. I mean, this is like a town in and of itself and you don't even see it. You come upon this as it reveals itself. So it's a really uh, interesting thing. And and if it didn't even propel beyond that, when you're in that part of the encampment, where the resistance resides, you see um, kind of a, a, a gunnery entrance, um, for what is Rise of the Resistance. Um, but beyond that, all you see is trees and beyond that, mountains. You can't even make out Poe's um, Orange striped X-Wing or a larger U-Wing transport ship that is going to take you up to a Star Destroyer. Um, that's nestled up against the mountains, but you can't even see that. You can't even see the exit, which is a, a kind of a, a rounded out building. All you see are these trees and everything. So you have no sense of what lies behind you. And yet, um, the head of Disney attractions, Bob Chapek, is saying that the Rise of the Resistance is going to be the best ride Disney has ever created. And yet, Imagineering gives you no indication of that. There's no sense of it. They've broken that rule of creating a weenie, a visual magnet and, uh, and they're making you discover it for yourself. So that's the first thing that Disney has done decidedly different in Galaxy's Edge. The second is staying to scale. Now, if you've taken some of these um, uh, behind the scene tours that Disney gives, the Artist Show tours and others, you'll know one of the things they do is they show you Main Street and they say, Now, notice Main Street isn't really that tall it's really kind of like eight tenths of a scale on the first nine tenths eight tenths of the scale on the first floor and then it's like uh uh a portion of that on the second floor and a, and a smaller even portion if there's a third floor and, and they talk to you about the idea of scale and making you feel like you're more in control of your surroundings and your environment rather than feeling uh um Uh, intimidated or um, uh, diminished uh, by what you have. There's a sense of, um, and and, and the interesting thing is, is that Black Spire Outposts, it's almost like they chucked out scale. I mean, there are some things, the mountains as you go further in the distance kind of has that same effect as Cinderella Castle where it gets smaller and smaller as you go up. But by and large, the buildings in Black Spire Outposts are full scale, ceilings inside these buildings are honestly quite high. And in some cases you're even having to ramp up a, or, or go up a stair to approach them, which makes them even seem taller. Um, my guess is that they did this because they wanted people to feel lost in this new world. And, and so I put in a couple of photos that really help give this sense of what this feels like and notice when you look at the photos at my link that really uh it is a there are very um that the that the people compared to the buildings are very small uh compared to the height of it even the millennium falcon i don't know that it's a hundred percent at scale it might be like nine or nine and a half percent at scale but when they did the opening they had Chewie in the cockpit and he looked like he was in the cockpit sitting there. Um, so in some ways, it seems that they even that is almost at full scale. Um, not that there's ever really been a Millennium Falcon ship, but if there was, this one looks like it's at full scale. Um, in another location, another image I show, I show stormtroopers up on a deck above Black Spire Station and they're patrolling the area. Again, if this was done at a smaller scale, it would not work because the stormtroopers would be looking too big on these platforms. But instead, you feel like, you know, the First Order is kind of looking down on you. And so the whole feeling, I mean, from the archway you first enter, everything feels, makes you feel somewhat like you are um, immersed in this world and And almost like when you're in New York and you're just in these canyons of walls and buildings, it's such a different feeling. I talked about this in my other podcast where I talk about my initial impressions and I also talked about um, uh, comparisons. You'll want to check out uh, Podcast 26. But in that, I talk about finishing my time in Galaxy's Edge and heading back out to... um, Uh, the Critter Country, and I got a, I I decided to finish my uh, popcorn, which I really love, um, while sitting on the top deck of uh, Hungry Bear Restaurant. And I remember looking down as the ship came by and everything was around me. And I'm thinking, wow, this seems really small. (laughs) The scale is a totally different thing, but it creates a different feeling when you are in that land. So it's kind of cool how they've changed the scale. On Galaxy's Edge. The third thing, um, to to get a sense of this, um, there's a story told of Sam McKim and Ken Anderson. I show a picture of this. It's a it's a rendering of the haunted mansion, and around it are the building looks dilap, uh, dilapidated, and the, the grass is overgrown, and the trees are overgrown, and it kind of looks stormy, and and so forth. And they painted this created this rendering for Walt and Walt looked at it and said, no, no, you know what? We're gonna keep it really nice and pretty on the outside and keep the haunting on the inside. And so today when you go to Haunted Mansion, especially in Disneyland, it is pristine. I mean, the gardens and everything look really nice on the outside of this this building. Um, And when you go down Main Street, uh, when you go through Liberty Square, when you're in Tomorrowland, Future World, everything's pristine. Everything is nice. You don't see, um, you don't see dirt roads down Liberty Square. You don't see um, buildings uh, where the painting is peeled off and so forth. Galaxy's Edge is not that way. Galaxy's Edge does not provide the ideal. Galaxy's Edge looks like it's been in a war zone. There are laser blasts on the side of the building. There are wires stretched from one location to the other. It's much more like Africa in Disney's Animal Kingdom, which I think Joe Rohde called, or at least I would call, an idealized reality. Um, it looks worn out. It looks authentic. In truth, if it were reality, you'd probably be uh, smelling trash and seeing, um, you know, some some. Uh, critter ran over in the road and you and potholes all over with mud and slush and it, in truth, it isn't like that, but it does have kind of this authentic realism, though maybe more idealized. I think that's what they've done with Galaxy's Edge as well. Now, let me give you an example of this. When you walk into the Magic Kingdom, what is the first thing you see as you approach the train station? It's a beautiful floral portrait of Mickey Mouse and it is pristine. It's always in bloom. It's always greeting you as you come in. What greeted me when I came into um, the Black Spire Outpost as I entered Galaxy's Edge? Well, I'll show you the d- picture, but it's basically a junk pile of debris, of uh, some droids, uh, rusted out a bunch of uh, um, pipes and things of that nature, plants and weeds. It's kind of messy, but it screams in a very subtle, very subtle way, you have entered Star Wars. This is a different planet. And so again, it's uh, it's not realistic. You don't really see people dying in the streets, um, but but it is this um, more realistic look and feel that Imagineers have chosen to take very much a departure from when you enter uh, the Magic Kingdom. Um, so those are the three things that I think um, really make uh, that, that Imagineers have done differently. They have chosen in this situation to, um, to not have that visual magnet sticking out they have uh, decided not to stay to scale, like in most experiences. And third, they have uh, provided much more of an authentic, idealized reality than to create um, this pristine uh, experience. Now, that said, while those three things, Imagineering broke the rules in doing, there are three things that they have done a superb job of. And I need, to, I need to talk about those because in many ways, they have just surpassed themselves in these three ways. The first is that they have learned to, how do I put it, honor the close-up. Um, this concept begins with John Hench questioning Walt with using leather straps on stagecoaches in Frontierland in the early days of Frontierland. And John Hentz just kind of looked at this and thought, well, you know what? Nobody's going to notice the leather straps being used. We could do something a little bit more practical and less time-consuming. And Walt, when he mentioned it to him, uh, Walt turned, firmly planted his finger on John's chest and said, you are being a poor communicator. People are okay. Don't you ever forget that. They will respond to those details. They'll appreciate those kinds of little details. And let me tell you, Galaxy's Edge is filled with far more details than leather straps. There is no end to the detailed, uh, to the kind of detail that's really played out in this entire um, experience. Let me offer an example of this. Uh, There are a number of food and beverage choices. Um, One of them, Uh, And it's kind of probably my favorite of the locations that are there is uh, Ronto's Roasters. Now, this is a big building, not to any diminished scale like we were talking about. This is a big building. When you, it's a big circular opening building when you get into it. And what you, and so from afar, you see this big uh, building complex. You see uh, tables and chairs outside of it. You see that it's somewhat dilapidated and so forth. You enter this, and we kind of start going from these long shots to medium shots to close-ups. And what you see when you enter this is, in the center of it, is is um, a um, pod racing engine that has been placed upside down, and the flames of which are being used to roast the meats that are being served at Ronto Roasters. And so, um, that is, it's actually almost a long shot you have to take on that one. But what makes it, when you turn it to a medium shot, you see that working this whole thing is a droid that existed. It's a, I think a J8DJ8, and it's a similar droid that existed in the Return of the Jedi. A kind of, um, uh, a smelter droid and, um, and he looks like he's been put to work here. And he sits there and takes care of uh, working the flames and working the uh, Ronto's roaster here and the, and the uh, pod racing engine as it cooks these meats. And, uh, and you can see the detail and I'll show these images on my site. Then in a corner, and this is where you get to your closeup, I guess the close-up could also be the food too, and that would be another conversation. Because I noticed when I had my sandwich, it had a great peppercorn, a sauce I think it was on my sandwich, but it was not evenly distributed, and I didn't taste it until I got to the end of the sandwich. And I, thought, oh, it would be so. Cool. So close-ups matter. But the one I was going to uh, draw notice and draw attention to is a corner that you almost pass by. It's kind of like, um, well, it it, it it at first it looks kind of like, um, you know how you kind of have sometimes uh, a cage set aside for food or food supplies, um, alcohol, things of that nature. Rather instead, when you look through it and you take a look at the details, you'll see it's kind of a butcher's block and a place to kind of prepare the meats for Ronto's Roasters. Here's the catch is you see some of these very alien life forms being ready to be sliced up and cooked. And it is, it is so gross to see. And it's, but it's these little details you notice that create, again, uh, uh, wonderful details as part of your experience going through. In other areas, you suddenly come up to blaster holes that have been put into the side of Ogos Cantina and so forth. It's just so so fantastic. So I love the fact that um, uh, that they have really uh, made an effort to honor the close-up and to pay attention to those uh, leather straps, so to speak, that now make up part of, uh, of uh, Galaxy's Edge. The second thing, um, Disney has done a great job in past years of really focusing on green initiatives, on recycling, on being less energy dependent. If you have not been to Walt Disney World recently, you may not have seen, and and even the gas may not see because it's from a different toll road on the side that's kind of unmarked. But there are hundreds of acres, it seems, that have been set aside for um, um, uh, providing solar uh, panels. Now uh, you remember the old solar panels used to be on top of the universe of energy. Oh, they have done this to a to a whole new level. At one point, uh, much closer to Epcot, you see one of one set of them that's shaped like Mickey ears. It's a great little hidden Mickey from from uh, up in the air. Um, and they go green on many many initiatives throughout the company. It's very impressive. Here's the funny one that I thought really was interesting. If you recall and when they if you've been to Big Thunder or any of the Big Thunder railroads you know that a signature part of that attraction is that the the Burke Brothers had gathered gone through the Southwest and had gathered old machine parts and old steam engines and all these old props to kind of dress out the entire um uh Big Thunder Mountain area and so you get this sense of this old timer kind of look and feel you get the same old set timer sense of feel when you are in Galaxy's Edge, but the time and feel you get is the 1970s because one of the rules they did was kind of let's make sure that everything we can make, as much as we make at least, uses materials that would have been available when uh, A New Hope was made uh, in the original Star Wars film. I give a great example of this. For instance, um, when you visit Droid Depot, you will find the most expensive item for sale at Galaxy's Edge. Do you know what that is? I won't tell you here, but I will tell you that um, when you visit my site, you'll get the answer to this question. And what you'll see is um, that this item is priced at 25,000 credits or dollars, as they refer to it in Galaxy. And the sign that is next to this item um, is sitting on top of an ammunition box. Now, why I'm drawing this uh, example out is not because of the item for sale, it's the ammunition box. In the 1970s growing up, I remember that my older brother carried around an ammunition box. It was commonly had among young men of that age, many of whom actually had served in Vietnam and served in the war. Now, my brother wasn't a part of the war, but it had become so fashionable to have an ammunition box that he managed to get a hold of one, and he had one as part of his possessions. Um, I hadn't seen one in years until I visited Batuu, and all of a sudden, I am tripping the light fantastic back to the 70s and recognizing and seeing ammunition boxes all over. You walk through the queues of the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run um and through uh, Merchant Row, and you see all these details made up of of materials and and m- machinery parts and items that date back from the 1970s. And uh, by the way, I apologize. My son is next door. He's uh, autistic, and he's kind of having a good time by himself. But anyway, where I'm going with this is is they have, in the same way the Burke brothers were bringing all these old machinery parts to Big Thunder Mountain, you get the same feeling when you are in Batuu. Uh, I give a bigger example. You're going to have see this image on my notes page. Look at the roof of the Millennium Falcon. If you study the details, you'll see that it's made out of many parts that were akin or available during that time period. Uh, the 1970s. Of course, Millennium Falcon was created out of parts that were available during the 1970s, so it stands to reason that that's what you're going to see now. Um, Maybe they had to remanufacture some of these parts in order to make it look right, but I'm thinking this has got to be the biggest recycling job Disney's ever done. In fact, I wonder if Imagineering isn't applying for some kind of conservation award for the amount of recyclable goods, but clearly it seems that in in paying attention to the details, they went really green on this project and recycled a lot of goods. So that's number two, they went green. Three, don't open before it's ready. Now, let me give a little context to this. My favorite attraction, of all attractions, when people ask me, what is your favorite attraction? It is Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. Pirates of the Caribbean, and, and I will say, it's if you're not familiar, those of you who've only been to Walt Disney World, it is a totally different experience, almost twice the size of the experience at Walt Disney World. Um, it's even better cared for at Tokyo, so I love um, riding it there as well, but the whole of it is a truly amazing attraction. Most don't know that, um, well, they may know that the attraction opened um, in March of 1967, a little more than 50 years ago, but it was supposed to be open in time for the holidays in 1966. The Imagineering team at that point, known as WED, uh we're getting toward the holidays and they could not get it open in time there were too many details too many elements too many things that they had to figure out they approached walt and told them their concerns and walt told them don't you worry don't worry about management don't open this thing until it's ready to run they didn't even open up the blue bayou restaurant during the holidays they waited until it was ready and that date became march 18th of 1967. Now I mentioned this story for two reasons. One was um, the story becomes painful when you know that that month of December when it was supposed to open is actually the month that Walt Disney passed away. No one in WED had any clue. They had seen that he was ill, but no one knew he was going to be checking out at that time, Um, but Walt knew. And I'm sure finishing out his life he would have loved to have seen that ride completed. He would have loved to have seen the first guests boarding that attraction. Um, Who wouldn't blame him? But even he knew the attraction needed more time. Again, I've seen every attraction in the world, but Pirates is like the summation of Walt's work. All the tricks of the trade with audio audio animatronics, and with ride systems and with special effects and with music all of this went into this attraction and it is it is just like how Mary Poppins is the sum of his life's work everything went into Mary Poppins everything he knew about the film business went into that into that film and that's why it's remained uh, so amazing it's also why i think that pirates of the caribbean is also amazing. So while it was great that Galaxy's Edge opened early, most people didn't think it was going to open until um, later in June. I totally respect though that Imagineering has held Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, the big E ticket until it was ready to open. Now, some might be a little cynical, say, oh, it's just a marketing ploy. They're just trying to get people to come first, then come back later and so forth and get this right. Um, I don't think so. I think this is a very um, a very advanced attraction with a lot of parts that have got to sync up at the same time. What I do know is, going back to Bob Chapek, he has said unequivocally... This is the greatest attraction ever built. Now those are big words, especially because it only sits about 100 yards, 150 yards away from what I think is the best attraction ever created. But I'm patient and I want to make sure, I want to know that when I ride on it, it is in its perfection. So I'm patient in the meantime, and I totally respect that Imagineering has taken the time to not open an attraction before it's ready. It just better be really good when it does. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see soon. There's so much more to come. So many other great things to talk about in Batu. We want you to uh, check out uh, our other podcasts. We have done six, seven, seven other podcasts on uh, Galaxy's Edge. We have also um, done a number of posts uh, we have got some videos going up as well. Check them all out. Um, our last post was on the forces in the details. So if you like those these kinds of messages and so forth, you want to definitely check those out as well. And also, you, you will not get a sense of this until you go to the Complete Guide to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which we have. Take a look at that when you um, sign up for our, our newsletter. You're able to access all of that, which con- constantly is being updated and changed as we go along. So there's so many things to see uh, about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Please share with others, help them to know when they talk about coming to see this, tell them, come to come to Disney at Play, come to Disney at Work. We have so much to share about this new land. And we appreciate, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Hope that you have uh, a great time and a great day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.